Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany in Rome, Katie in Seattle. And we do, in case you don't know, we probably know if you've been listening for some time, that we release special bonus episodes of this show over on patreon.com slash the Bittersweet Life podcast. A couple shows a month, usually. And just recently, we did a Q&A episode, which is an episode where we answer questions that are sent in by you. And one of the questions was, do you think that tourism in Italy will change at all as a result of this pandemic? Italy being, as any of you who have visited any of the big sites there, often overrun by foreign tourists. And Tiffany, what was your answer to that question? My answer was no. No in the sense that once travel is returned 100%, it's going to go back exactly to how it was. It's going to be crazy, crowded, impossible. And I don't think Italy will have learned its lesson. Yes, in part because Italy depends so much on tourist dollars for its economy, was your thinking. But then you found an article (laughs) online that doesn't necessarily refute your point, but adds another layer. And that's what we thought we'd talk about. So why don't you lay out the premise of this article and then we'll dig into it a little more. Yeah. First of all, it's on CNN Travel and the uh, title of the article is Italy has a new way to combat over tourism. We'll put a link to this in our show notes, of course. But um, I am going to say the title's slightly misleading, as they always are, because it sounds like it's this new law that the entire country is going to have to follow. But it's just one museum in one city that's doing this new project, which I think is great. But, you know, it's definitely not the whole. The whole country is rethinking its travel situation and how they run things. But basically uh, what it is, is the director of the Uffizi Gallery in Florence has decided to take works of art from the gallery, particularly works that are not on display, because of course, some of these large museums have enormous archives of works that are just not on display because they don't physically have enough space to display them all. And so they're planning on taking many, many works of art and putting them in other places, in other cities around Tuscany, small towns, medium-sized towns as well, uh, places that maybe are already museums but don't get very many visitors because the works of art in those museums are just not important enough. And also in other places that are not technically museums that might be like historic homes, things like that. The idea is that if there are places all over Tuscany, not just Florence, with extremely important works of art by, you know, the top tier artists, if these works are available in other places, maybe there won't be quite so many people going to the Uffizi. Yes. The idea is distribute the tourists around the land, basically. Yeah. And I mean, this does have other benefits because, you know, it's not just like making the Uffizi less busy. But also, you know, possibly increasing tourism to some of these smaller towns that don't get a lot of tourism, which is definitely a good thing. Yeah. One of the things that was cited in the article that I thought was a particularly cool idea, because the part that made my spine tingle was he talked a little bit about 
the time the Uffizi had sent uh, an exhibit of Leonardo da Vinci to another region. I think it was sent to Vinci, actually. Oh, was it? The town that of Vinci, where he was from. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. Uh, but the quote that he said was that you could see the drawing and then step out into the landscape afterwards. And I thought, wow, that just the way he put that, it kind of gets at what our Keats conversation was. Mm-hmm. You're traveling and you're finding ideas and you're following them. Something about being able to see an amazing work of art and then step out into the world that that person was seeing yeah. is a great concept. It really is. Intriguing. There was another little thing that they mentioned that got me very spine tingly, which was this idea that, you know, Italians from small little provincial towns, particularly in Tuscany, will go to Florence and they will go to the Uffizi just to find a painting by someone from their town, Mm. by some old master who was from their tiny little town. And that these works of art, either they might not be able to find them because they're, you know, they're not an important work and, and they're not maybe cataloged, or maybe they're in the archive and they're not even available to see. And so obviously you've got the people who are just checking the Uffizi off their list. I'm in Florence, I've got to go to the Uffizi. Unfortunately, as much as I kind of disdain that kind of tourism, I am guilty of it sometimes myself, to be perfectly honest. That is not probably going to change unless they hike the prices up to the point where only the people who are seriously invested go, which there are arguments on both sides of that idea. I don't think that that will change. I think those people are still going to go. But the people who are like, you know, maybe you're studying a particular artist. Oh, I'm going to go to the Uffizi to see these works by this particular artist. Well, in the idea of this director, you're just clogging up the museum. You could be seeing them in a different place, those same works. Yeah. They say in the article that the Uffizi on average gets 12,000 visitors a day, which is so many people. It's nothing compared to the Vatican. Nothing. Well, I know, but but <laughs> Vatican is bigger. <laughs> it is bigger, but it's... Um, it's kind of narrow, but... It's very narrow in places. Yeah. There are some very small doorways because it wasn't designed to be a public museum. I mean, neither was the Uffizi Gallery designed to be a public museum, but the Vatican can get upwards of 40,000 visitors a day, just to put it in perspective. Well, and I say that not having ever been to the Uffizi because I was one of those people who went to Florence for two days and you told me, you got to get tickets to the Uffizi ahead of time. And I was like, oh, I'm sure it'll work out. And Mm. then, of course, I couldn't get in. But a couple thoughts that I have. Just mentioning my inability to get into the Uffizi, because I only had two days there, I ended up walking across the river to another art museum that was built into a private palace. It's probably the Pitti Palace, Palazzo Pitti, probably. Maybe. I, yeah, I don't remember the details, but it went there instead. And there was nobody there. Mm. I mean, there were a few people there, a handful, and it was very grand. And there was even a Caravaggio there, which I was not expecting. I was on our ever quest to see every Caravaggio, but it was such a pleasant experience compared to what reading about the Uffizi sounds like that it really does this idea really appeals to me but my cold water to throw on this director is that as long as you don't move the David yeah well the David's not there but it's not at the Uffizi gallery I thought it was no no it's at the Academia the David's at the Academia the what's at the Uffizi I mean there's a lot of works at the Uffizi the Venus the Venus all those great Botticelli's are there some Michelangelo paintings. The Uffizi is wonderful. It's, it's incredible. It's, 
but the David is not there. Yeah, that doesn't really work to my point, though. But I, even still, like it. Let's, let's say, say Primavera, the Primavera by Botticelli. That's the one that I think everybody, the Primavera and the, the Birth of Venus. Those are the two Botticellis that everyone has to see in crowds around. And right. So as long as those are still there, or in our case, the Caravaggio shield is still there, the Medusa, aren't people going to just go there anyway? I don't know if distributing all these little works of art, even though it's a brilliant idea and it definitely could make all those other towns more appealing, still, is it going to keep the Uffizi from being totally overrun? I totally agree with you, actually. I had the same thought. You know, at the beginning of this article, he talks about, you know, people snapping selfies in front of the Botticelli. It hit home to me how much tourism has changed in the past 20 years or so. I mean, everybody always took pictures at museums, it's not something new. Uh, although there are plenty of museums where they're not, you're not allowed to take pictures, or at least there used to be. But it's become something else now. I mean, because of social media, it's not about, oh, I'm going to take a picture of this painting because I really love it and I want to remember it and I want to be able to look at it again and remember. You know, mm-hmm. that I feel like is how we, why we used to take pictures. And I mean, okay, to a certain extent, maybe we, we wanted to have a photo album and and show our friends. But I mean, how many people were you really going to show those pictures to? Like your best friend, your mom, you know, that's about it. Whereas now, I feel like when you go to a museum, for for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people, like the first priority is, okay, I'm going to take pictures so that I can post this on preferred social media. And again, I'm guilty of this in a sense too. I often, it depends on my mood, but sometimes if I'm in a place that I love enough, I, I do forget to do that and get kind of absorbed. Or I'll take the pictures and then I just won't get around to posting them because I just, I just can't be bothered. Uh, it depends on my mood. But I do think that it's like, you know, how much are we really going for the experience of it? And how much are we going for this public documentation of it that so many of us do? Well, and this strange thing too, in that point is that before, if you were taking a picture of the art to try to remember it so you could like study it later, say, mm-hmm. it's a totally different thing to not even be facing the art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're there to see, yeah. you know, it's almost like if you're not careful, you don't even look at it, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. You know, you look at it in reflection to how you look against it, which is a very, very strange thing. I wonder what the painters who made these things would even make of this, <sighs> putting in as much sweat and tears and effort as they put into it. I know. To have people face away from it and snap a photo. It's just, it's kind of bizarre. I wonder if one day social media will be gone and we will think... In, Boy, people just went a little nuts there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But back to the topic at hand, I feel like, I honestly feel like if they really wanted to make this work, this plan, which I do applaud the idea of it, but I feel like one way they could do that is just to literally put the big stuff in other places. I mean, that's the only way you're really going to, as you said, make people not want to go. But then again, is that the point? Is it are you trying to get people to not want to go to your museum? Like, I understand that it's a project that the Uffizi would be running called Uffizi Diffusi, which basically means like the diffused Uffizi or the like sort of spread around Uffizi. I understand that it's a project. So they would obviously probably be making, you know, at least a portion of the ticket price, I assume. Otherwise, you know, that would be a little bit of a crazy thing to do. But 
I mean, you know, so many tourists might not even know. They might not even hear about this. You know, where is it going to be advertised as well? How are people going to find out about it? Yeah, that's another question I had is, how are they going to spread the word that the Uffizi is not the only place to go? Yeah. The little towns would have to somehow market themselves. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that the people who are going to go and see these other smaller museums are Italians, either who live in Tuscany already. And so they're like, oh, hey, let's take a day trip to Lucca. We live in Pisa. Let's take a day trip to Lucca or to Siena. Or, I mean, people already go to these cities anyway because they're wonderful. But, you know, maybe even smaller towns. Your average tourist in Italy, they don't go into the smaller towns. Not very often. They will, but it's, it's usually if they're on like an excursion type of a tour, like on a bus tour. I know this because I talk to so many people who are tourists, or at least I used to. And I always say, you know, oh, where are you going on your on your trip to Italy? And nine times out of ten, if not more, they say some combination of Venice, Florence, Rome, the Amalfi Coast. You know, maybe there's a Siena in there. That's about it, you know, unless they are the rare person who's taking two or three weeks just to explore Italy. But usually they don't they don't go off of that track. I don't know how you know, a tourist from the United States, for example, who's come all that way, who has, you know, the typical American vacation, what, 10 days max, is going to have time to go to these tiny little towns, you know, and they're going to say, well, well, no, I'll just go to the Uffizi. It might not have every single painting on display, but, you know, it's got the Primavera, so. So a quick aside, Tiffany, as you know, I've been reading this book, I Had No Idea You Were Black, mm-hmm. Navigating Race on the Road to Leadership by Ronald Crutcher, and I'm rounding the corner. I'm just about done. And I don't know about you, but I always read the acknowledgments. I do as well, generally speaking. Which is interesting, because most of the time you don't know the people in the acknowledgments, and you just read a whole bunch of names, but I, I love reading them. Just a reminder for those of you who are newer, who Ronald Crutcher is. He is a uh, national leader in higher education and a distinguished classical musician. He became president and professor of music at the University of Richmond and previously was the president of Wheaton College. He's just a very interesting man. I can't sum it up how much I've learned about him in this memoir, but that's why you should read it. But anyway, like I was saying, I love to read the acknowledgments and I thought that This little part of the acknowledgments reminded me very much of my time living in Rome and sort of as we talk about travel and what Italy will be like when it reopens, just reminded me of this little section because I think sometimes people take vacations as a sabbatical in a way to take a break to rediscover themselves and step away from work. And sometimes you get the privilege of getting to do that for a longer period of time, not just like the standard two-week vacation, but you get to go for a number of months. So this is how he begins his acknowledgments. I began writing this memoir in the summer of 2013 as I prepared for a sabbatical in Berlin, Germany, following 10 years as president of Wheaton College in Massachusetts. This was the first sabbatical of my entire academic career and I planned to complete the manuscript during that time. However, upon arrival in Berlin, I realized that I was exhausted, and that time spent reconnecting with myself and taking in all this amazing city had to offer was at that moment the most important thing. 
Many memoirists have discovered the same. Taking this extra time turned out to be one of the most important decisions of my career. I would not have had the energy for another college presidency if it had not been for this six months of respite. He goes on to say how much that rest formed this thoughtful book that he ended up putting together. Wow. So it would have been a different book entirely if... uh, if he had not taken that break. That's interesting. Which I think is really cool. It's interesting. First of all, that's exactly the same time you moved to Rome was the summer or shortly in September, if I believe, yes, of 2013. True. We were abroad at the same time. You were. I wonder if, do you feel the same? Because I know that a lot of the time, especially like the first half of the time you were in Rome, you were kind of not super occupied. Yes. Maybe you needed that. And maybe without that, I mean, I think from our Western point of view, especially our American work ethic model. We're like, go, go, go. You can't waste any time. You can't rest. You can't take time for yourself. If you take time off, you have to be working on your like passion project or your side hustle. You you cannot stop. Mm-hmm. It's good to hear from someone who is very distinguished that actually time off isn't just good for you personally and for your spirit and your body and your soul and all that, but it's also good for you professionally. Yeah, it's a really, really good reminder. And I think that, yes, for me, the same thing was true. I, I purposefully arrived in Rome thinking, I need to reconnect with the artistic side of myself, mm-hmm. the person who doesn't have to create art every day as a mandate, you know, a person who might want to do something different now. And yeah, it was very helpful in beginning that journey. And then, of course, we've been so lucky to have Clyde Hill backing this show and bringing these great books to us. Sometimes in the acknowledgments, you do recognize a name or two. Greg Shaw is uh, the man behind Clyde Hill, and he thanks him and says... I am internally grateful that Greg understood what I wanted this work to be, both a memoir and a meditation on leading across the divides. Well, the book is I Had No Idea You Were Black, Navigating Race on the Road to Leadership by Ronald Crutcher. Great book. I really enjoyed the read. And if you look in our show notes, you can find a link and order it for yourself. It's beautiful. Yes. So in other news, there's nothing in Seattle that's equivalent to the mobbing of the Vatican or the Uffizi Gallery, except for maybe that one original Starbucks, which we've talked about. Oh, God. (laughs) That's that's sad. But the Seattle Art Museum, while they do a wonderful job curating, they had big news just recently because they actually got, this is the opposite almost, they just got a major gift. It's a $400 million collection of donated paintings. Oh my gosh. 19 20th century abstract expressionist and European masterworks, along with an additional 10.5 million in dedicated funds for the museum. Wow. And that made major headlines because we're like, wow, the Seattle Art Museum is going to get some really notable people in their permanent collection. I mean, not that they don't have any notable people now, but we don't have the equivalent of the Mona Lisa here. So yeah, we might have a more, uh, slightly more diverse catalog. You know, we would have things from native tribes and and stuff from Africa. And we do not have the big, huge names that everybody travels across the world to see. That's understandable, just considering the United States does not have the same kind of cultural history that Europe has. It's there. It's just not as long of a history, let's say. So it's understandable. But that's very exciting. Will it lead to the mobbing of the Seattle Art Museum, though? No. No. (laughs) I feel like there's a tipping point with the museum. There's a tipping point as far as like what it has in its collection that is going to draw in the major 
crowds. And I'm not sure what that tipping point is. But like if you think about other museums like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City or the Getty Museum in LA, I mean, those are museums, I don't think they're mobbed, but I don't think they're mobbed because they're just bigger physically, not necessarily more works of art, but more square footage. So they don't seem as crowded. Yeah, actually built to house a museum. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And I think that they do get mobbed. I mean, maybe mobbed seems like too dramatic exaggeration (laughs) for any museum in the United States. But maybe they do get more mobbed if they bring somebody in. Like, for instance, I went and saw a Frida Kahlo exhibit at the Seattle Art Museum once. And of course, those three rooms of her stuff were just packed with people. The rest of the museum, you could have had a hockey match in, you know, I don't know. But <laughs> but, but those rooms were very crowded. They have the ability to attract people. Yeah, well, when when they have a special exhibit, yeah, I remember the same thing when I was in, living in Boston. I remember the lines for the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, just whenever they had an exhibition, the lines were just nuts. But just during the exhibition, the rest of the time, not that it was empty, but not the same thing. In a way, I find that encouraging. That's like the opposite of our selfie discussion, although maybe all those people are waiting in line to get a selfie with whatever it is. But it is encouraging to think that people would still wait in a long, stretched out line to go see art. Yeah, because in that case... It's not just people saying, oh, I've got to go here because if I don't go here, you know, I haven't seen the city. If I don't go to the Vatican Museums, I haven't seen Rome. Mm-hmm. So I have to go. It's a different type of motivation when you're like, this is my city and I'm going to go to this exhibit because I want to see art by this particular painter. So I will say that when Derek and I were in San Francisco, we went and saw an exhibit by Magritte and they had actually taken into account the selfie culture And while they didn't allow any photographs inside the galleries, at the end of the exhibit, they had basically set up all these interactive things that you could do that would make a great selfie picture. Oh, that's so cool. I could send you some of the pictures. So basically, there's photos where it looks like I'm in one of his paintings because the background is projected. And so it looks like I'm standing in his painting. There's another one where I can, they had you look through little holes. And on the other side, it looked like you were appearing in one of his paintings, but your eyes could move. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) So cool. Okay, we know you want to take selfies with this stuff. Move it along through the exhibit. And then you can selfie to your heart's content in this extra room that we stuck on the end. Very good idea. And it was super fun. And people had a great time doing it. I mean, the rooms were still packed. The wait to get in there was quite long. And the paintings are small in many cases. So people were very crowded in around to try to see. But at least it kept it moving along and then gave this time for people to celebrate and show off that they had been there. Well, you know, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. Yeah, so maybe what the Uffizi should do is just project the (laughs) Venus outside the museum on the wall. (laughs) And just allow people to take Uh, selfies with it as if they're inside. Yeah. Yeah. And some people won't. That'll be enough. That will be enough. They won't even go. Just like you can take a selfie with the David out in the courtyard in Florence. (laughs) And half the people think, I've seen it. This is it. Standing outside. Probably more than half the people, sadly. Yeah. That's a great idea. Maybe we need to write to this director and suggest even bigger distraction. That is brilliant. That is a brilliant idea, Katie. I think you should patent that idea, actually. (laughs) 
<laughs> like a special room. I'm sure somebody thought of it before. Yeah, but like I would actually even put like a special room inside the museum at the very beginning, like before you buy your tickets. There's a room off to the side where for like two euros instead of 20, you can go into this room with really well done fakes with really great lighting designed to make really great photos. Mm -hmm. There's even maybe somebody in there who will take your photo for you. Perfect. And you just get in, get out, and you can post away to your heart's content that you've been to the Uffizi. And nobody will know. <laughs> nobody will know the difference. Nobody will ever know until they go to the Uffizi and, and see that room. Yeah, they'll, then they'll leave a comment underneath. How did you go on a day where there were so few people there? Amazing. What's your secret? I went during the pandemic. Oh, yes. <laughs> there you go. And one other little selfie note before we go, there was this bakery that's near my home. And I don't know if they were struggling or what was going on, but one day they decided to paint the outside of the building this bright magenta color. And I kid you not, the next day there were people like fashionistas outside of it getting their picture taken against this wall. Brilliant. And of course there's lines now because of the pandemic, but... Every time I drive by, there's like a line of people standing outside waiting to get into that place. Wow, I don't know if they intended to do that, but that was absolutely brilliant. It was brilliant. And that reminds me of when we were in Seattle back in, whoa, 2018. I mean, you've been there since then, but I had not. We were taking some photos. We were doing some professional photos. And you said, let's go to this little ice cream shop I know because they have this really cool wallpaper and we can take really great pictures in front of this wallpaper. And we did. And the pictures are great. And you can probably find them on our social media feed. Well, some of you saw it in the Seattle Times just a few weeks ago. Oh, it was in the Seattle Times. That's right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we bought ice cream while we were there. Yeah. You know, so pays off. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. That was actually suggested <laughs> by our photographer. Oh, was it? Okay. And Bittersweet Life logo designer, Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory. It is interesting how you can attract attention in this strange new world that we live in. Back to this Uffizi Gallery uh, director. He had mentioned a number of the places that they were thinking of putting some of these paintings in scattering them about. And one of them, I believe, was in the Medici Palace. Some of them, I forget where all the list was, but... Luca, Viareggio, mostly places in Tuscany. It immediately made me want to go to Tuscany. I will say that. I thought... What a pilgrimage it would be to go see the scattered works of art that the Uffizi Gallery has now tossed all over Italy as a mission, mm. as a way to tour the country. Ooh, that is a great way to see it, actually. It's a nice new quest. Yeah, a nice new quest. And you and I are always looking for a nice new quest. So keep your eye on it, Tiffany. If, I will. if they come out with a final list of everywhere they've put stuff, I want to know. Yeah, it says in the article that he's been planning it since the beginning of the pandemic. This idea occurred to him and he's hoping to launch it this summer. Yes. So cross our fingers. Right now we cannot go to Tuscany. We're not allowed to go from our region to a different region but hopefully by the summer we will be yes so looking forward to that hopefully well and we'll leave it there and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell i'm tiffany parks join us again thanks for joining us please share the show tell your friends and family about this great discovery that you've made and if you own a business consider sponsoring the show 
Sponsoring is a great way to reach an educated and diverse group of wonderful people living all over the United States and the world. Send us a note at bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. That's bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or visit the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. <laughs>